can. Right, phone's off. Yeah, turn mine off, I think. Every time I say to someone, case of beer, mm. if your phone goes off during the shoot, without fail, <laughs> my phone rings. Every time I say that. Okay. Well, it kind of works out well because I chucked a rap party as well. And I was going to buy beer anyway, so. Sweet. Yeah, but that's the rules we have on set. Case of beer for a rung phone. That's always me. <laughs> I set it's the good rule though. I set the rule though. That's a, Seems like a rule I'd benefit from greatly. Amazing <laughs> <laughs> too. Well, that's a part of it, right? Like when you do a production, it's about the experience, right? Like that's why we're artists, right? Like, yeah. There's a passion to be a storyteller, but there's also um, you want to be surrounded by like-minded people, hmm. and uh, that's film people. If you're a film person, that's film people. Yeah. And uh, a big part of that is the uh, rap party. Um, you got to thank everyone. Uh, remind them of their value. So especially at the end of a shoot, you're freaking exhausted, man. Yeah. You, know? um, you even question your own existence at the end of a shoot. Like, <laughs> why the fuck am I doing this? <laughs> this is so painful. Yeah. Um, but we tend to focus on the negatives and, and down moments, right? On reflection, you go, that was awesome, actually. Mm. That was great. That was a great experience. Uh, um, especially having um, the mixture of command and control versus collaboration. You know, yeah. th- those two forces getting a good balance on a film set really really does it for me. I really mm. enjoy those moments just as much as building the content. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, are you ready to go? Do you reckon we're ready to jump in? I'm ready to go. Red, red, ready, red rooster. <laughs> <laughs> An old soul. Yeah. And welcome to the Pagey Train. Today I have in the studio with me, Darcy Carroll, filmmaker, um, award winner at Mainland West. Oh, welcome well, to the dude. show. Thank you very much for having me, man. Glad oh, dude. Oh, dude, um, uh, very impressive work, very impressive dude. Um, yeah, um, you know, I can't give you enough accolades on it, man. It's been quite good. I think you were the first person to get the People's Choice and the Audience Choice Award. Very nice. So, man of the people, they call me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, man, definitely. Um, uh, but yeah, the digital audience and the live audience voted for your film. Mm. Um, uh, so, uh, my name is Mother Nature. Hello, my name. Hello, is my, my name is Mother Nature. Sorry, but hello is very important. It is, yeah, because uh, well, what's what's hello, my name is Mother Nature. What's that? What's that film about? So it's about a speed dating event, kind of a non-literal one, because the participants are, um, you know, Mother Nature, mm-hmm. our main character, uh, the representation of the Earth, mm-hmm. and all of her potential matches are all calamities, man-made calamities. You know, pollution climate change uh deforestation all those types of mm. terrible terrible things yeah um and they're a kind of terrible terrible dudes you know oh well, you know well the, the, well, the, well the, um the characters they're playing are terrible dudes like yeah. warfare's not a fun dude oh no uh, oh i mean look the one of my favorite parts of that movie is that he has the most agreeable um exchange with her mm. where he kind of goes well this isn't going to work out, which is, you know, I, I liked that. I, had, I was pretty chuffed when I wrote that. I was like, <laughs> well, it is a comedy, right? Yeah. Um, uh, how did you feel uh, getting the uh, response from the audience when you watch it? Because most filmmakers, we've talked about this a lot on the show, most filmmakers don't watch their movie, they watch the audience. What was your experience there? Yeah. I am always surprised that people think I'm funny. No matter how <laughs> many people tell me I'm funny, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm killing this. Um, and that was pretty nice is hearing people laugh mm. like not at my movie but with my movie yeah. you know it was very cool well we do we have all seen those films that people laugh at yeah uh, not laugh with mm-hmm. um, you know there's you know the quintessential uh, The Room right of course this serious made film that is accidentally funny 
But um, comedy writing, though, that is uh, kind of the, um, you know, the golden goose, you know. Like, if you yeah. could pull it off, a lot of mad careers have been built out of people that write comedy. Yeah. You know, it's, but it's the hardest one to do, I reckon. It is very hard. I mean, I, I really enjoyed writing Mother Nature. And even though the next one, I'm the one I'm making right now is very serious, mm -hmm. I think I will naturally gravitate to a more comedic tone. Yeah. Just because it, it kind of speaks to me more. I yeah. have more fun writing it, have more fun making it. When mm. a actor can read my script and think it's funny and mm. not just be like, okay, like, this is work, mm -hmm. that's that's gold. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, but it's interesting you say it that way because most um, writers I talk to terrified of comedy. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. So, like, like uh, a lot of people gravitate towards um, that, that, that full genre film of a horror. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to go and scare people and entertain them in that way. Um, but then they find the visual effects is the challenge. And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm saying the writing, of course the writing's challenging. Yeah. But the, the, the unpredictable challenge in that endeavor is the special effects, right? Mm. Now, especially practical effects. There's a lot of work that goes into that. Um, but comedy is all about the writing and pacing. How do you, how do you approach that pacing? Like, like, how many comedies have you written before, before this? Um, I've written a couple comedies. I haven't really made... Mother Nature was my first, like, proper short film, you know? It was the first, like, one I wouldn't consider a test run. Mm. One that I really put my whole, like, you know, heart into. Yeah. Um, and the good thing is my heart gets bigger and bigger each year, you yeah. know? So I hope the films will get bigger and bigger each year. Oh, man, you put that really well. Um, yeah. Your heart getting bigger and bigger. I can totally resonate with that. Because um, you go through... It's risk, right? Mm. Anything that you do as an artist is, is risk. Um, because ultimately, there's that idea, well, you write because you like writing. Yeah. Um, but also, you want to entertain people. So there's this mode of being selfless to entertain someone, putting mm. it on the line. It's also a bit selfish. Yeah. Uh, because you go, well, this is for me as well. Mm. Um, you know, but we, ultimately, we're entertainers. Uh, so to... F to risk comedy if someone doesn't laugh at your film yeah that is a super risk mm. like that must be like terrifying yeah it's pretty daunting the mm. idea well that's what i was saying before that i was kind of relieved by the laughs because i thought this is kind of preachy this is a little bit like touching on topics that like people have very strong emotions about and mm. granted i don't think i went about it in a way that was supposed to get that reaction but I, I don't think you went full political on it, no. No, not at all. But um, even still, I feel like going into the future, I will kind of um, drift away from that sort of, I, not politically leaning, but like opinionated sort of comedy. It's not my bag. Yeah, you know? and there's a lot of that out there at the moment. Like, yeah. And I think it's been said a lot. Like, If you look at um, comedy films that have been made in the past... There's no way they can make those films now. Yeah, exactly. They're so controversial and we're so polarised and divided at the moment. Mm. And we can go into conspiracy theories of why that is. <laughs> is it the... Oh, I got plenty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, deep, the deep state curating mm. content in order mm. to divide us so that we are distracted by the circus of it all. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense. And that's why... I, I like that there's... We were talking about it earlier uh, before you rocked up. Um, a lot of wives asking their husbands, do you think about the Roman Empire? Oh, Yeah. I had a girl ask me about that last week. Do you think about the Roman Empire? I think about aqueducts a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think like, whoa. Like some guy was like, this would be a sick idea. Mm. And then someone else was like, oh, 
good job, man. Let's do this for the rest of human existence. It's pretty good. Plumbing's yeah. pretty important. You oh, know, yeah. Definitely avoids cholera, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but um, and a lesson harshly learnt over history, especially with plagues and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, but I guess when I think about the Roman Empire, I think about the politics, you know. Um, yeah. When Caesar, well, the main thing I think about in, in, in that space is um, uh, Caesar, because Caesar was a general, right? And yeah. then the, the Senate handed over power to the military. Hmm. And then the military was in charge, and then he goes, oh, I think I'll just keep the power. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'm in charge, well, you know, I, I do, think I'll just keep it. I think about Nero a lot as well. Yeah. I, I'm, it's so incredible that someone could have been so evil mm. at a time. Like, I've heard people say, like, oh, you know, Nero is like the devil incarnate and stuff like yeah, that. It's yeah. like, that's crazy that someone like that could have existed at that time. People have very split... It's, it, that's a, a strange one. Like, people have very split opinions about um, about him. Yeah. Um, being either the devil or a saviour um, yeah. of ideas. Um, mm. And the expression of freedom, freedom of speech, um, was a big deal with him. Um, but yeah, I... Um, well, the other thing I think about is really terrible, actually, when I think about the Roman Empire. It's uh, Caligula. Oh, yeah. Um, the contrast, well, when the, the, all that Epstein stuff happened, yeah. that's all I thought about. I'm like, isn't that a, just a hallmark of an empire where yeah. they're so corrupt? They're mm. like corrupt beyond imagination. Yeah. Where they're, you know, putting children on planes for nefarious reasons, you know? You're like, fuck, man, that's fucking evil, right? Mm. Um, you go, oh, that's pretty Caligula style, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's very much uh, that debaucherous um, elitism. Uh, sort of, uh, for, sort of ilk, and you know they celebrated their chefs, they celebrated their uh, gladiators, and we you know look at our the sportsmen that we celebrate. Mm. There's a lot of contrast between. I think that's why blokes are generally thinking about it. Yeah, I think um, it's interesting that you put it that way because there's not much difference between how. That's why history is important because mm. there's not a lot of difference between how we acted uh, centuries ago and how we act now. It's just that there's more response to it, more ways to judge it and to um put it into like consideration and put authority behind it and things like that you yeah know? well i think um i think it was said very well in the dark night by uh, heath ledger um uh, playing the joker mm. when the chips are down these people eat each other. <laughs> right and it doesn't take much of a push uh, look what happened in covid and toilet paper man like yeah. it doesn't take much of a shove mm. for us to go primal i was wondering when we would get to the joker segment of the <laughs> podcast <laughs> do i talk about that a lot i must talk about it a lot <laughs> no <laughs> i just don't think that's funny <laughs> yeah well dude uh well um you know, but it, you know, I think like when I, you know, thinking about Batman, right? Mm. Talking about the Empire and you know, uh, you know where we live and what the zeitgeist is, I find that you know, if you look at that, you know, deep state propaganda idea, here you've got this banker who's a superhero mm. who's gonna save the day. Yeah. And as a kid, you're like, you you root for Batman. You're like, go, Batman, kill the bad guy. Mm. Or no, don't kill the bad guy. Arrest the bad guy because you're not yeah. a bad guy. And as you get older, you're like, Joker's got a few points, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a famous meme that's been parodied a hundred times where it's mm. like, when you're a kid, you mm. won't be Batman. But when you're an adult, Joker makes more sense, you know? It <laughs> does. But it's also like, when Batman was written, the idea of a billionaire mm. was like something that you'd find in a comic book. And now they exist, mm. you know? Now it's a very real thing. Oh, there was certainly a shift. If you look at content from the seventies, right, mm. um, all the you know sixties, seventies, you know, Brady Bunch, um, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, Laverne and Shirley, um, mm. Bewitched, um, yeah. they're all normal households. Like, yeah. they're all um, 
middle class celebrations mm-hmm. about how we live our lives, you know, and, the, and, and, and especially like those gender politics sort of things, you know, those gender roles, you know, um, bewitched Samantha was the ruler of the house and, yeah. um, but she had magical powers and had a, you know, there's a, a backdrop to her power as the, as the, as the matriarch in the family. But the front um, a part of that is, you know, Stephen, who's the, advertising guru who's bringing yeah. in the bread right so there's that mm. patriarchy and matriarchy in that in that cooperative environment so we used to celebrate the middle class a lot mm. get to the 80s that starts to shift where you got stuff like dallas who shot jr yeah. it's about the extravagance of the rich um you know living on yachts and living in ridiculous houses and you mm. know and we started to move away from celebrating the the middle class to aspiring to be the rich and you know again you go deep state on that again you go well Mm. is that a is that an apparatus to get people to get money hungry you know to push people towards these things like you know i've been watching billions at the moment oh yeah it's totally days of our lives yeah it's days of our lives just with a different title on it right Mm. they're not they're not selling clothes they're selling um oh no sorry no that's sorry i've mixed my uh shows up there um bold and the beautiful was uh the fashion industry yeah. I wouldn't know. I'm not much of a soap opera guy. Oh, dude, I, <laughs> I am a TV junkie from way back. Yeah. And it's interesting to see the contrast of how it's changed. It's about uh, extravagance now. Mm. And even like, uh, we're talking about it off, off air before, you know, the, the, the shift from, you know, sexuality that sells to, to controversy that now sells. Yeah. And that controversy is really wrapped up. Um, it, don't get me wrong, it still wraps up in um, sexual ideas. Like, uh, like Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Mm. Um, billionaire's got a helicopter on the roof and she's a bit, you know, wants to say the safe word, she can get straight in that helicopter and piss off. Um, if he was a middle-aged guy, he'd just be a creepy dude. Yeah. Because he's a billionaire. Because mm. he it, looks like Jamie Dornan, you know? It's now so, eccentric. Right. Eccentric is acceptable, crazy is not. Mm. Um, What's the line from the movie? He goes, I'm, I'm Fifty Shades of Fucked Up. <laughs> That's so funny, man. <laughs> What a ridiculous line to have in a movie. But it is, it is like, like um, but again, it's something that's very well parodied. Um, who was it? Uh, Gilbert Godfrey. You know, you know Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, I love Gilbert. Um, R.I.P. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, one of the most interesting voices that you'll ever hear mm. in a headphone. I heard it from downstairs last night. My brother was watching uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I heard him. far out. <laughs> it's like oh, I can hear Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard him reading renditions of uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, yeah, I've seen that video. That hilarious. Good. Oh, he mm. also did The Aristocrats, which is a hilarious joke as well. Yeah. Um, where they tell this, like, really eccentric story, and it's The Aristocrats. Yeah, yeah. no, I've heard that one. I've heard very fucked up versions of that one as Super well. Super fucked up <laughs> versions, bro. Um, it's pretty insane. Because like, the punchline is so perfect that you can make the setup anything. Yeah, that's right. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a, um, um, it's a repetitive gag. Like, mm. it's one of those jokes that is so well hung on a... Um, on the on the concept of it, you can just keep rerunning it. Yeah, you can put any eccentric ideas in there and still t- tell the same joke. Mm. Um, I was watching. Um, I watched a really cool um, Aussie f- uh, series recently um, called uh, The Queen of Oz. Um, oh, yeah, I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, ABC production. Um, I've forgotten her name. Uh, she she's a comedian from England, and she um, she was re- oh, her her tagline was, "Do I look bothered? Do I look bothered?" Oh, um, Catherine Tate. That's her. Yeah. Yeah. Love Catherine Tate. Yeah, man. So she's done a uh, a series called uh, The Queen of Oz, where she um, is a royal, blue blood, mm. vomits on this kid at a public relations photo op, Yeah, and she gets sentenced to being the queen of Australia as punishment. <laughs> 
And uh, they, they do it's classical writing. It goes back to in that British comedy of you know, are you being served? Um, mm. um, open all hours. Um, you know, the, even the two Ronnies to an extent. Um, yeah, and they run these gags that are really cool. Um, uh, one of them was they had this uh, old lady, so she'd be sitting in a room, and she was the mother of the uh, the groom that she had to marry. Right. And mm. Long story short, spoiler alert, by the way. <laughs> And um, anytime someone walked in the room, she goes, <gasps> mm. right, absolutely terrified. She's just walking into a room normally and she turns around and she goes, <gasps> she goes, I didn't know that me turning around slowly would be so shocking. <laughs> and then the, the servants would come in and go, hey, uh, Mrs. So-and-so, I'm about to enter the room. And she goes, oh, okay. And she walks in the room she's, and they've got a, um, a bowl of flowers, yeah. like a vase of flowers. She's like, <gasps> she goes, you didn't say you'd be carrying flowers. It's just one of those gags that you can just continually run forever. Yeah. It's, in a, it's in that positive feed loop. Mm. Um, I guess that's a little, coming back to um, Hello, My Name is Mother Nature. Yeah. You had a bit of that sort of style going on in there, actually. Mm. Um, because you've got that rep- uh, repetition of that speed dating. Yeah. Um, so you've got this scenario where you can constantly run that same gag, but you just change it up a little bit because of the guest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we had a lot of fun with that. Like one of my favorite gags is um, the overpopulation gag was very like fun to mm-hmm. write and to have our actor Gabriel um, like perform. Mm-hmm. But it was also, uh, I mean, it was a bitch to edit, but I also really loved the water to wine joke we did for religion oh yeah yeah just because that was like it's such a cheesy gag but people notice it and they go oh, oh that's good yeah yeah like nice yeah that, that well, out. yeah well you're not being like again like you're in that streamline of not being offensive yeah but you could take it wrong you yeah. could if you were so inclined mm. but you'd be pretty um pretty uh prudent uh, to take that wrong yeah i guess so i, I mean maybe that's another reason why i want to um drift away from kind of opinionated comedy is because mm. it's like my opinions change of course of course they do. yeah we all modify yeah and so it's like if i make these kind of statements about you know something like religion mm. and it, and then in a year or two's time my my views on religion are completely different it's mm. kind of like Ew, that's icky yeah but i, I think i don't like I'd, I'd, I'd really urge you not to fully go like i see where you're coming from mm. but I'd urge you like not to fully go down that path like you gotta understand as well like these are tropes and these are things that we use um for comedy like um look at um john cleese right yeah um and uh the the, the crew that did um holy grail um, yeah man oh, yeah. multi-person guys man they really push the envelope mm. like there's interviews of them online today Right, that they replay over and over about talking to the Catholic Church about how they represented the crucifixion of Christ, yeah. how that was super offensive at the time. <laughs> and the Catholic Church is just up in arms, and then and then you look at the history of the Catholic Church, you're like, you guys really shouldn't be complaining. Yeah, <laughs> you're a bit like, puritanical. Yeah, critical. As far as corruption goes, you can't get more corrupt yeah. than the Catholic Church, man. Like, you guys should, you know. And don't get me wrong, like I don't want to be sound. I don't want to sound like I'm being negative towards religion because a lot of people get good things out of it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's people that are in, uh, in religious organisations that feed the poor, um, that, yeah, ha- that house exactly. the homeless. You know, like, they don't do all negative things, that, but there's certainly negative things that come out of it. But it's that um, demotion of ideas that they're really apprehensive about, you know, the, um, the idea of the earth not being the centre of the universe. That's mm. a demotion, right? Because now the earth is all of a sudden not as important as it was before. Yeah. Um, then the solar system was the centre of the 
galaxy in the solar system and it turns out that's not true either um there is no actual center to what we understand in the universe because it's that fucking big like mm. everything is round in the universe right like the you know, atoms around uh, planets around stars around but when they look at the scale of the 93 billion light years of visible space it's flat so what that tells us is like i'll give you another analogy right to understand this is uh if you look out to the horizon the earth appears to be flat mm. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's what me and my buddies are saying at our organization. The earth is flat. Oh. No one wants to listen to us. Oh, dude. I'm oh, dude. Oh, yeah. You're, you're firing me up. You're firing me up. Big shout out to my friend Dan, actually. But, um, yeah. Uh, if you, but if you study the earth, you realize it's actually round. Yeah. The universe is so big, our, visual, our, our visible um, distance that the, um, the uh, James Webb telescope can see mm. um, sees everything flat. So what that tells us is it's that 93 billion light years is one section of something that's very round, but it's yeah. so big we can't see the curvature. Mm. That's how big it is. So good luck finding a center yeah. with that. It's not possible unless you can travel through dimensions and travel faster than the speed of light. Mm. Just, I can. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can. So I'll be tight. Oh, dude, <laughs> I, I had a client once. We were talking off air about... I uh, won't mention his name, but I was, talk, I was bitching about a client um, earlier. <laughs> and... Um, he was. I was shooting this scene for him, and he goes, "Can you shoot?" Because money was on the line, right? Mm. And he was so inexperienced. He was like, "Can you shoot this any faster <laughs> without a drop of a beat?" <laughs> like, I literally can't travel and work faster because, like, than the speed of light. Because if you think about being a camera operator, that's what you're working with. Yeah, you're working with light. So I literally can't travel faster than the speed of light, bro. It happens as it happens. I can't make. Like, what do you want me to do? Get everyone to talk twice as fast, or like, it just spun me out. And yeah. I, yeah, just straight away, like, can't work faster than the speed of light, bro. That's the worst question on set. Can you do this faster? No <laughs> offense, uh, Chantel. Um, <laughs> naming it, naming and shaming. <laughs> Love ya, but oh boy, I hate that question. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's in the same ilk as um, we'll fix it in post. Oh, yeah. Oh, brother, I said that about a million times yeah, uh, on big set. Big trap, big trap. Oh, I'm all right. I, I know my limits because that's my favorite part of filmmaking is yeah. post-production. Mm -hmm. Like you were talking about earlier when you were saying like you kind of in the process of filming, it's kind of like really hard. But then when you think about it later, it's. It's the most fun part. It's the easiest, hardest thing you'll ever do. Yeah, exactly. Every time I'm shooting, I'm like, why, the f I don't, why do I do this to myself? It's so man? stressful. But then editing, I'm very chill. And I like when I have said I can do it in post and then I do it in post and it works out. And it's like, dude, I'm the other. the fucking man. My, <laughs> my emotions are um, at polar opposites to what you've just talked about. Like yeah. when I'm on set, totally calm. Um, totally like, um, like my, my, I think like my biggest talent that I found myself in the world is if you put me in a room with talent, mm. I'll get something out of it. Yeah. And that's what an artist is, right? Um, it's, it's someone that's a collaborator that has a skill set, that's a craftsman, that's an artist. And if you do that for long enough, you become a master. You, yeah. You, that's what you call mastery, right? Um, you need that synthesis of craft, engineering and art and you bring those things, three things together. Yeah. That's mastery. And, uh, yeah, I, um, oh, I lost my bit of train of thought a little bit there. Um, uh, what was I talking about? You were talking about, oh, God, I, I lost it. I lost it. Oh, shit, bro. Oh, but shit, I lost it. I will say, 
going off of a point I was formulating off of what you were saying mm. that I forgot you were saying mm. is um, that was one of the biggest challenges with Mother Nature is mm. besides Alex, our main actress, who was sensational, mm. um, all of the other cast were just my mates. Yeah. And granted, I appreciate all of them forever for mm. doing that. Every single one of them did just like they were there because they were my mate and they wanted to help me out, mm. you know? But that was one of the biggest challenges is a lot of them were just like, what do I do? They didn't have that acting bug. They didn't want to say- They didn't have the like, experience, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you just brought me back. I got it back. Um, oh, uh, there we uh, go. Uh, yeah, about, um, about mastery is about, um, it's a delicate operation. Hmm. So if someone says to you, I need you to hurry in this delicate operation. You're like, it's a delicate operation. It requires pace. I can't hurry. Yeah. This is the pace that it goes. Mm. You can't argue with that. So I, I, one of the biggest challenges as a practitioner when you're doing commercial work is to translate. Because uh, everyone has the idea of, well, if I pay you X amount of money, I want Avatar. And you're like, oh, yeah. you don't have the budget for Avatar. Mm. Um, let's do something, you know, maybe... You know, like a cinema ad. Let's go for that. Yeah. <laughs> right? But because we're surrounded by images and we're surrounded by content, which is so readily available now. Like, it's literally in a meter reach of all of us right now. Mm. Um, you can go straight to your phone and pull up any content about anything in the world. In fact, you can go to an AI and get it to write you a script right now, right? Yep. It's so mm. accessible. Um, you, 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 <laughs> you um, I've lost my thought again. This is twice. We're talking about AI, we're talking about content, everything uh, being readily accessible. Yeah, yeah. Um, by being readily accessible, um, we sort of um, become attuned to it and we expect, mm. we have this expectation of, um, of work. Yeah. And you're like, well, I've only got this one camera that can shoot at this you know, resolution. Like, you can't go beyond that. Like, it has yeah. limits, right? If you want something bigger, we're going to have to get a bigger camera, more crew. It's going to cost more money. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to translate that to a client uh, because they, they're surrounded by images. It's like when you go to someone, oh, I need you to design a poster for me. Yeah. And they go, how hard can it be? It's like, it's a piece of paper that has images. Like, I, I, I take photos on my phone all the time. How hard can photography be? Mm. But no, there's, there's art to photography. Um, uh, you know, uh, th th and there's a science behind it. That's where the craft is. Like, with photographs, it's the rule of thirds, headroom, looking room, composition, uh, lines, uh, color correction, uh, texture, yeah. um, you know, all these other different light attributes that go into a photograph. Mm. But people just go, well, I just use my phone. Yeah. Like, yeah, but it's not the same thing, man. Mm. It's just not the same thing. That's why you're paying the practitioner to get the better thing. So I find that, especially with the baby boomers, it's hard to translate um, artistry into that space for their budget. Yeah. Really is. Um, uh, but other people, it's great. When I work for media organizations, they get it. They go, all right, so this is your hourly rate and this is what we're buying. This is the suite of content we're going to get out of it. Mm. They get it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's why uh, corporate clients uh, are better. Mm. Uh, government clients are difficult because they're over demanding and they want to squeeze that orange and get all that juice out as they can. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find that a major challenge. But the thing about that is without the contrast of corporate work, you can't make your art. Yeah. They, they, they're, they're coupled. They're exclusive. That's what I've always found. I mean, not personally, but from like hearing filmmakers talk is that it's 
they have to constantly deal with corporate people who don't really understand it. Mm. I mean, they understand the, f- the financial aspects, but they don't understand the creative aspects. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Rob Zombie talk mm-hmm. about making his Halloween movie. I love Rob Zombie. Yeah. Dragula. Yeah. Best song ever written, man. Oh, and his movies, man. <laughs> I love his movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Devil's Rejects, man. I haven't seen Devil's Rejects. I have seen House of a Thousand Corpses. Devil's Rejects is 10 times better. Oh, sweet. It is uh, in my top five films of all time. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah, it's right. brilliant. Check it out, bro. We'll go to back to the top five because I want to talk about that. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, no, he said like cause he was doing Halloween under the Weinsteins mm. um, and he said like every week they would come to him with whatever the top movie was in cinemas and say, it has to be like this, you know? Yeah, referencing, yeah. yeah. Referencing can be risky. Mm. I did actually, referencing can be so risky. I once... Uh, you've got to be careful with that because sometimes you go to a client and you go um, what do you want and they go I want this thing and then you go find a reference for it and go is this what you want they go yeah and I had this one client that fired me <laughs> and then hired the fucking person that the clip Damn, that I showed them that's rough yeah super <laughs> rough and as well it wasn't like a capability thing it wasn't like it wasn't mm. about prowess it was like well they already built this thing so it was, it was a, a fiduciary decision it was an economic yeah. decision I understand it you know like but I set that up for you and just burnt me out yeah that sucks um, but um, oh look I've been doing this for a while now mm. and when I was five years in I thought we're making money now. This is great. Um, but that's an intermediary practitioner. What I learned 10 years in, you better know what you're doing. Like, there's a fake it till you make it aspect. Mm. You're going to try, you know, experimentation. Yeah. I'm going to try these things out, see if they hit, see if they stick. Oh, that didn't stick. Don't do that. This stuck. I'm going to do more of that. And um, that's what I was saying to you before about steering away from these tropes, man. Like, don't be afraid to tackle religion. Yeah. Because I think the way that you did it in, in, in um, Hello, My Name is Mother Nature is you did it in a, in a nonchalant way. Like, it wasn't targeted at any particular person. It yeah. was just, you had this um, wire between the formidable obstacle, you know, being the climate and, you know, Mother Nature and mm. what the earth goes through versus the intent. And the intent is you know warfare is about you know gaining money pollution yeah. is about the excess of humans and what we're doing you know so you've got these anecdotes you can just constantly hang on that wire yeah I, I wouldn't steer away from that man I did hear when you guys announced the online awards on an episode um, Jay said um, oh this would make a really good web series mm. and as soon as he said that I was like oh it would it would it <laughs> would each episode with a different guy and then I could kind of expand on it more. That's kind of one of the issues I have is that cause innately, because it's a speed dating experience, mm. I have to kind of sum up these very broad content, uh, concepts into a very, you know, small space of time. Yeah, yeah. But if I had time to expand on those, I could make it work in that framing a lot better. Yeah, you're going to more depth. But, yeah. but the simplicity of it worked really well. I think yeah. that's why it resonated with people. And I, and that's why I'd say, like, don't be... Um, I'm not saying not do the other thing. Mm. Do the other thing, but don't not do the other thing either. Like, you, yeah. you, sh- you should be able to keep both of those things. Why do you have to discard the other? Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, that, that's what I'm saying. As, um, as, as, a, as a bro and a compadre, you know, I'd be yeah. like, oh, no, nah, man, that's a, that's a winning bet. Don't change a winning bet. Mm. Um, but at the same time, don't um, be a one-trick pony either. Yeah. You've got to go out there and expand. You've got to go mm. grow. But um, but if you've got something that's winning, keep, playing, keep putting money on it. Yeah. Why not? Fair broke. 
<laughs> well, we're all artists, man. We're always broke at some point. Yeah. Oh, that's the point right now. Oh. I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're working. What? You're working two jobs at the moment? I'm working. I'm just starting a second job. Yeah. Both casual jobs. Um, I already feel very welcome at the job I got hired at yesterday. Yeah. The other job I have, love everybody I work with. Fantastic people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just... I need the money. <laughs> you got to you got you got to feed the monkey, mate. Yeah, uh, we all got to go out there and do it. It's just that you know, um, it's the transfer, right? We, at one point, we want to transfer to be full practitioner. Mm. Um, done that a few times, but I've always had to go back to the workforce because we, look, we live in Australia, right? Yeah, you know, you just got to face facts, right? And there's that uh, that in group. Everyone wants them in that in group. But what I'm trying to say to people, especially like dudes like yourself that are um, uh, of your age, of your experience, and of your talent, right? You've got this thing ahead of you, which is clearly going to work as long as you stick with it. Yeah. You're not going to win everything. You're going to lose some things here and there. But if you stick with it, ultimately you're going to win. Um, you're your own producer. You're your own promoter. Mm. You're your own lawyer. Like We are in a world of accessibility big time. Yeah. You don't need the corporation to succeed. You just need a good story. Yeah, I'm thinking of kind of going more of an angle where I can work by myself. Because I keep having the fear that if I go the industry route, mm. that what's happened a hundred times with a hundred different filmmakers where their vision gets scrapped or changed drastically, that's going to happen to me. And the way my mind works right now, I know I can't handle that, you know? It's um, hard. It's, it's hard. Yeah. But uh, I do... Distressing even. Yeah. I do like the idea of just making something that means something to a handful of people. doesn't mm. have to be seen by everybody, you know? I, I've had a big shift recently in not what I think I can achieve. Mm. I feel like I can achieve a lot, but really what I want to achieve. Yeah, um, yeah what's the selfish part of it? You know, you've got to ask that question. It's an honest question to ask. Yeah. And I think you got to as well like be an unapologetic capitalist like mm. if i'm making art like people go with the argument oh well, you're selling out right yeah you sell your art you're selling out like well it's a profession man i'm trying to sell my shit mm. like it's not selling out it's just being an operator yeah you're just operating in the space right you're not selling out anyone that's sold an album or sold a song or sold a poem or sold a painting or whatever it is you, you Technically, you've already sold out at that point. Yeah. You're in an economic arrangement to provide some form of entertainment. Mm. Um, but again, it comes back to that selfish thing. Why do I want to be an entertainer? Why do you want to be an actor? Why do you want to be a director? Why do you want to be a writer? Because you get something out of it. Um, other than other than money, at the end of the day, at, at a, in a long enough timeline, you're going to have to recoup your funds of your efforts. Yeah. So you've got to be an unapologetic capitalist about that. Yeah. You know? There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe I am in a cake and eat it too kind of mindset right now where it's like i do want to be like a a low scale kind of filmmaker but i also want to be able to support myself and live comfortably and i don't know if those two things can coexist of course they can they of course can? they can yeah absolutely I'll um, oh dude I've, 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 like, I've talked to so many people about this um, and, yeah. and even reflecting on my own journey um you know like there's been days where i remember there's been several occasions where I'm like, I don't know where the rent is. I don't yeah. have the rent. That's stressful. Because mm. if you miss that one rent, that's the pin out of the grenade. It's just going to fragment from there, man. It's going to blow up. Yeah. I remember I was two weeks out from a, from a, from a rent pay and the phone rang and I got hired to do a documentary and they paid me up front. Oh, nice. Never happens. 
never happens. You know, it's mm. always like I need get, get might get a deposit. They paid the full fee up front, sight unseen. Nice. So they looked at this work. They're like, we want to hire you. We want you for this. I'm like, great. And then I was the principal, you know, um, uh, cinematographer, principal director. Went and made this documentary for him. Everyone was happy. Um, uh, got a whole bunch of hits. Everyone's stoked. But when I when I got that contract, I was mm. bones in my ass, man. Like, yeah. uh, credit cards maxed out. Rent's due. Mm. I'm like, shit, man, I need to get a job. And I couldn't get a job. Yeah. Phone rang and saved my day. Saved my day. I remember um, a big shout out to Ben who gave me that job. Um, he doesn't know. Like, uh, I've told him, but he still doesn't get it. Goes, you don't understand, bro. <laughs> I was at the end. Yeah. That job um, was the spark that continued the next six jobs mm. that then paid the rent for the next year. You know? uh, but then that's diehard stuff, right? Yeah. Diehard artist. Um, but, you know, I'm more of a contract worker, so I would do like, you know, a little contract here, a little contract there. But now I work full time, do the contracts, and run the business. And the festival. Mm. You just don't have any time. And you sacrifice your personal life, time with your family, time with your friends, uh, time socializing. Yeah. I sometimes get time, but I think sometimes I'd like a bit more time. But uh, look, I, sometimes I feel like one of the first dudes through the door. Like, I'm, mm. I'm uh, like, it's great to watch you guys at Main in the West, right? Because you're the next cohort. Yeah. And I've watched two cohorts before you. And like I was, I was talking about today, big shout out Bina, the, the shout out queen for the Pagey Train, yeah. uh, helping her work on her feature at the moment, doing post production. Holy fuck, <laughs> it is pristine. That's heaps good. You know, it's like no hands down, man. When this film comes out, it's going to blow people away. Sweet, it's the best film I've seen coming out of my, uh, out of Western Sydney. That's awesome. Hands down. It's heaps good. I don't see many movies come out of Western Sydney. Well, you got other, there's ones that are done internationally. You got, you got things like Two Hands. Um, oh, I fucking love Two Hands. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Brian Brown, Heath Ledger. Yeah. Um, I quote that movie a lot. I know yeah. we're talking about that with Bad Boy Bubby. <laughs> um, Brian Brown goes, That's a lovely pterodactyl. That's a lovely pterodactyl. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I just got the fucking gearbox done. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but it's got uh, Steve Lamarckand actually is in that film where they do, uh, they're about to rob the bank. Yeah. And they, they're suiting up and like, you know, got their guns there and you're like, yeah, we're going to take shotguns? He goes, yeah, shotguns are good, mate. <laughs> <laughs> He's that's so a, good, mate. Man, that's a tattoo. Mm. You know, um, iconic stuff, right? And then you look at stuff like, um, a big shout out to Maria Tran, um, you know, uh, Last King of the Cross, you know, this is oh, great. yeah. Great content coming out. And like, Bina, you're in that league, baby. You are uh, firing cylinders that are... Look, I can tell you for sure, people are going to love this film and people are going to hate this film. That's how it's good. That's the kind of movie I want to make. And, and, and people worried. They go, oh, what if they hate the film? I go, it's perfect if they hate the film. It's mm. perfect. Yeah. Go and talk about it. I was talking to my brother <laughs> about that uh, a couple of months ago where I, I think my brother-in-law shout out roger shout out Bo. Mm. um said to me like what kind of movie do you want to make and i said i want to make the kind of movie where people hate it when it comes Mm. out and then 20 years later they're like actually that movie's sick because those are all my favorite movies oh dude check out one called the ear have you seen the idiot box no it's on the list though my mom keeps telling me to watch it i love mendo He's yeah, dude, um, that is way up your alley, I've especially your style. Especially your style, you'd love yeah, that. Yeah, I've seen that scene where he steals his mum the TV. Yeah, so take it back. But I got this for you. Get a dog. <laughs> yeah, what the saying in that one is, get a dog up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um again though, but again to um um 
uh, Paul Fennick um, and uh, Maria Tranman, Fat Pizza. They've got the other one that's coming out at the moment. Sorry, I forgot the name of it, guys, because um, uh, they did Houseos. And then there's the other one they're doing at the moment. It looks super funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, production value is through the roof. They're really getting their shit together. It mm. is really, really good. Um, you know, but they, these things are coming out of Western Sydney, right? And you're a part of that movement. Um, not only are you, like, surfing that wave, man, you're creating that wave. Yeah. Like, as someone that can, like, reflect that to you. Mm. That's what I was saying to you before. Don't, don't be afraid. Like, I understand the restriction what you're saying before about I want to move away from um, these political trigger points yeah um, and want to move to this con- content direction here yeah totally do that but don't close the other door mm. leave the door open yeah why close the door oh look maybe one day uh, political opinion will mean a lot to me and I think I'll need to make a movie about it but right now in my life I'm in the point where I'm looking at a lot of movies that are just entertaining and full of love from the filmmaker and yeah. get a lot of love from the audience yeah. and that's what feels uh, good to me. Oh yeah, look when you say stuff like that, it energizes me, right? Like yeah. I go, man, that you're fucking onto it. Like that's mm. totally cool. But um, if I could be a devil's advocate, don't don't close the other door. Open yeah. that door, leave that one open as well. Oh, for sure, you can have your cake and eat it too. Sweet. Why not? Why yeah, not? Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm a big cake fan. Uh, thanks for Danny, uh, Danielle bringing around some uh, uh, cheesecake tonight. That was really, really lovely. Nice. Go love Danielle, <laughs> legend. Um, but. Um, so, writing, um, hello, my ma- name is Mother Nature. Um, I talk to, I talk to uh, guys and gals about how they write. Um, mm. I was talking to you before about um, the palm cards that I use. Yeah. Doing mapping. Are you a, like a blinking cursor kind of guy or do you map out your stories or like do you just write it off the, you know, from the hip? Like, what's your approach to writing? It really does depend on the project. I've had a lot of projects where... It's all come to me at once or just the endings come to me mm-hmm. or just the beginnings come to me. If I can remember, because it was a while ago when I wrote Mother Nature, it was the first thing I saw in my head was this girl in a lovely dress with big flowing curly hair with her hand in her, her, her head in her hands, just upset. Yeah. And that was Mother Nature. Yeah. And that's all I had. Um... And I went from there and I thought, like I I said the other night to you, um, where is somebody who needs love goes? Speed dating event. And then, why would you go to a speed dating event? Because the people who are there are calamities and, oh, there we go. Like, you know, it pops off from there. Mm. And originally, this is a little behind the scenes uh, information. Okay. Their script was much bigger. The reason there are eight... Um, calamities is because there was supposed to be eight dates, like female dates. Okay. And they were supposed to be the other planets, right? Oh, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. Was, so you'll see in the background. So you do kind of have a framework there that you're populating. Yeah. In that, in that sense. Yeah, gotcha. So but like, it morphed into something else. Mm, you'll see in the background, Chantel is um, dressed in all grey and yeah. she's quite short. So she was supposed to be Mercury. Yeah. yeah. Then we had another actress, Zoe who was in tan and had hoop earrings and she was supposed to be satin. Yeah. You know, and there was supposed to be all these other planets. We had to cut it for time. That's how it goes. Um, I love that. I yeah. love that. Because that had, like the amount of times I've heard that, 
mm. like where someone has this spark and that spark then lights this fire and they have this predict that they predict that the fire is going to burn this way yeah and it goes a whole other direction exactly and then they find gold yeah yeah well that was supposed to, it was supposed to come around at the end because the point was the last scene for those who don't know is Mother Spoiler Nature. alert. Spoiler alert. Go and check it out. Are you online with this at the moment? You not haven't released it. Are you still doing the film circuit? Um, you know, I'm not too sure. Um, my A lot of my lecturers have like tried to convince me, but I'm kind of resistant at oh, the Oh, dude. Dude, get it out there. Yeah, I know I That's should. That's international film, bro. You reckon? Dude, I've watched pretty much every short film made in Western Sydney in the last 12 years. Yeah, and out of that twelve years, it even goes back further than that because people have submitted films prior to that time as well. Mm. So I've I've actually looked at the spectrum of films. I, I I would say predominantly I've seen every short film out of Western Sydney in the last twelve years, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. Probably back on fifteen percent on top of that. I've watched a lot of content that comes out of here. Yeah, um, I would say that thirty percent of it is of an international standard. Your films in that space for sure, bro. Wow, hey. it really is. I'm, like, I'm not saying that as someone that's biased that likes the film. Even just looking at its um, attributes, so its technical um, uh, makeup, the way mm. that it's uh, edited, its set design, um, its connotations, the fact that it's super funny, mm. it's rewatchable. Yeah, I've had to rewatch it quite a few times. Well, you, you you've made it, but other people, I guarantee you, man, if you put that out there, people will want to rewatch it because they go, "I want to mm. watch that again." It's yeah. a rewatchable film. And that's probably the biggest thing with that movie, man. Like, the the technical attributes will get you into most film festivals alone. Yeah. Right? The duration. What, how long is the film? It's like nine minutes. Great duration. Mm. It's a great duration. Like, seven to, seven to nine minutes is the space. It's easily curated. It's comedy. Yeah. There, it's, it's, it's an endangered species, man. Yeah, I did want to mention that. You were talking about people are afraid of comedies. I don't... I'm hard-pressed to think of the last time I saw a good comedy at the cinema. That's right. People are scared. Yeah. They're scared to make comedies, right? And, you know, again, like, some of, some of it is, you could take it the wrong way. You could go the Holy Grail, um, uh, uh, the crucifixion wasn't represented correctly. Yeah. Point you of view. Life of Brian? Yeah, Life of Brian. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, I hate you, to be that guy, but yeah. I watch that every Easter. I do. <laughs> it's super good. It's such a good movie. I didn't vote for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's super good. I, uh, you went into those spaces with confidence, but again, it sounds like it really came out of, um, uh, some really authentic spaces. Yeah. You had an idea and that morphed into this other thing and then it sort of became subconscious at that point, right? That's why I ask about the writing of it. So you've gone out and written it in this way with a plan and then that plan has totally been scrapped and now it's this other thing. Yeah. Well, looping it back, I was about to mention this. That's why we put out the spoiler warning. Callback. (laughs) Callback, bit of a callback. How do we end Um, this bad boy? (laughs) What's the line from Fight Club? Callback humor. Yeah, <laughs> uh, um, uh, <laughs> yeah callback humor. <laughs> what else you got to see, Ikea boy? <laughs> but uh, the ending was supposed to be... Because um, there was supposed to be a conversation before the speed dating event between mm. Mother Nature and Mars. Yeah. Mars is kind of warning her, you know, watch out for these kind of guys. They'll just take what they can from you and leave. Because mm. that's the implication of what happened to Mars because it's a dead planet. Yeah, yeah, there's some interesting theories around that. Yeah, and then the ending was supposed to be after her talk with humanity, he, uh, you know, goes off with Mars. Because she's like, yeah, I'll take what I can get. And he'll take what he can get. 
if he's got no other options. Yeah, and you've got that gender space in there as well. Men are from Venus. Uh, sorry, women are from Venus. Men are from Mars as well. Yeah. Got, yeah, there's that. You could have gone down that path as well. I could have. See, yeah. that's, that's what I, I enjoyed about writing it so much is that it opened up so much yeah. that even when I did have to cut it down, it wasn't that big a deal because I knew what we still had, like the bones of it were very strong. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. And I think as well when I talk to uh, filmmakers, storytellers, you know, it's about reminding them not to be precious yeah you gotta you've gotta cut it down because you've over like when you generally write something it's overwritten mm. you need to edit it you need to edit it into um to have rhythm and flow i even, I even say this to people about um editing image right uh, people think about images as flashes of 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 light yeah you know you've got scene one scene two scene three and you can you know you do an establishing shot then you do a shot reverse shot then you might do some interstitial shots of people looking at a watch or looking at you know uh, someone pouring a beer whatever whatever it is and Mm. then you'll do a conclusion shot where they've you know concluded it um but really when you look at images they're rhythmic in nature yeah they they have rhythm and I always teach editors how to edit ear to eye. It's not eye to ear. Mm. Biggest mistake editors do is like they edit the piece without music. Yeah. Biggest mistake. I love editing to music. It's rhythmic. That's yeah. why. There's cue points. There's cue points and anchor points, right? Mm. I'll give you an easy example. Like, uh, name a song from your childhood that you really like. Um, Dream a little dream of me. Mama's and the Papa's version. Okay. Shout out to my mom. Right. Let me ask you a question. When you think of that song, what's in your head? It's the when the bass comes in on the song. Yeah, yeah. But what's the memory that you attribute to it? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> my mom used to sing it to me every night before I went to bed, and um, it's a very lovely song. But I didn't know what su- there's a line in it. Sweet dreams till sunbeams find you. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what sunbeams meant, yeah. and so I thought it was like a monster to yeah. sunbeams find you ah. and she thought it was really funny when i told her that recently wow so i was like that's a great song with that part innocent perception innocent perceptions yeah but when let me ask you this when you think of those memories are they quite graphic like are they like in full color in your mind it's yeah it's my mom standing next to my bed um kind of like brushing my hair and singing this song what's the room smell like oh, probably piss <laughs> <laughs> just but, being honest but you uh, see my point, though. Yeah. From a song, mm. we've now got a memory that attributes to your growth as a boy. Yeah. On a trajectory to being a man. Mm. The love for your mother. Mm-hmm. The the fact that you had a misunderstanding and that's mm-hmm. comical. Yeah. You've now done that callback memory with that and she finds that amusing, right? Yeah. All out of a song. Mm. Just that two notes of that song, you're there. Yeah. You've got an image in your head straight up. Yeah. That's how powerful rhythm is. Rhythm is it, rhythm is image. But like it is, th- those memories do come back when the bass kicks in. Yeah. And it goes dong, boom, boom. Cue point. It's like you got a cue point straight like up. Three years old again. You know? As I say, we were talking about it before. Um, um, our school's out for summer. Uh, Dazed and confused. Yeah. They spent half their budget. You know, they had half a million dollars to make that movie. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars went to Alice yeah. Cooper. Mm. <laughs> for the opener with has no has nothing to do with cinematography nothing to do with actors just yeah. the music the music in films is very important to me I'm looking at a Enchantment Under the Sea dance poster behind me <laughs> and that's very um, telling to me because that is that is maybe my favourite movie sequence ever the Earth Angel scene yeah, yeah I legitimately get goosebumps and tear up 
every time I watch that scene. I uh, it's when, incredible. When I think of that song, I think of my wife. Oh yeah. Yeah. Shout out Misty. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I um uh, I think of Earth Angel. I think of my wife, and That's I so think. Nice. Well, I have this thing as well with Back to the Future. I have very strong emotional connection to Back to the Future. Mm. Um, I grew up in a rough part of town. Yeah. Um, I uh, I joined the military, which is like joining the circus. It's like running away. Yeah. And uh, I came into a, a little bit of fortune through uh, my military service and worked with my family to, to advance our, our our family plot. Yeah. And a lot of things stemmed out of that. So I feel like that I went back to 1955 mm. and changed history. Yeah. You know? Uh, the ringtone of my phone is uh, Power of Love for, for Misty. Song. Yeah. So when Misty rings me, Power of Love will play. Because nice. um, you got to understand the subtext to Back to the Future is that he has a blueprint for when love will strike. You know this? Yeah. Because he's got this note that says, save the clock tower. On the back of it, it says a phone number. It says, I love you. Mm. Right? So he knows when love's going to strike. So the subtext to um, uh, Back to the Future is lightning striking and lightning is love. Mm. Lightning and love are so powerful, it transcends time. That's the power of love. That's the power of love. See, when I think of that song, I just think of him saying, damn, I'm late for school. And dun, then the song dun, comes dun, in. Dun, so dun, good. Dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I got into skateboarding because of that movie. Oh, yeah. You know, um, uh, I even wore a vest for a while. <laughs> a uh, life preserver? Yeah, a life preserver. <laughs> Dork thinks he's going to drown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Billy Zane. That's right. Billy dude, Zane. And Billy Zane is the fucking man. Man, dude, him. man. He, is such, he has such an amazing filmography. Yeah. He really does. Um, mm. uh, from B rated to A. A grade films, you know. Um, his downfall was the Phantom, unfortunately. Yeah, I haven't seen the Phantom. It's pretty good. I don't mind it. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem too bad, honestly. Like there are a lot of movies that, like, you know, like I was saying before, people hate them when they come out, and then mm. twenty years later, you're like, it was alright. Yeah, it's not, not too so bad. bad. Yeah, been so super harsh, man. Um, but yeah, uh, Back to the Future is one of those iconic films. You know, people are, you know, what's your favorite film? Like I like Fight Club, but hey, Back to the Future is pretty good as well. Yeah. Uh, well, I did say I wanted to mention this. What are your top, top five? The top five? Yep. <sighs> Fight Club's definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Back to the Future. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Classic. Terminator 2. Because mm-hmm. you'll never see stunts like that ever again. Oh, yeah. No way. Um, although Tom Cruise isn't a maniac. <laughs> um <sighs> So that's three. I've done three. What are the other two? I did. Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Yeah, definitely. Like, if you even look at Pulp Fiction, it's poorly edited. Um, yeah. There's a lot of uh, uh, blurry shots in it. Mm. It's, uh, it's actually quite slapped together. But you're so distracted by the narrative rearrangement that you don't even see that. Yeah. Um, Fight Club was shot under fluorescent lights, and that was just a no-no because it makes your film look green. Yeah. They went. They leaned into that. Um. Another one I would say is not a movie, but um, something that really blew my mind uh, was Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot is sick. They broke every cinematic rule except for crossing yeah. the line. They, they didn't cross the line, you know, uh, just for other uh, viewers out there. You don't cross the line, so you always film on the same side of the room. Because, 180 degree rule? Yeah. Because, hate that rule. Yeah, but if you cross <laughs> the line, it looks it. fucking weird. Yeah. It just looks weird. Like, mm. cause it doesn't make physical sense, right? But they broke looking room. They broke headroom. Yeah. Um, I love the way the shots are framed in that show. It's 
all off tap. They literally, I, I reckon they look through all the rules of cinematography and go, how can we fuck with this? Yeah. They literally did that. And I was just blown away by it. Like, and they pulled it off. They've either gone for extreme symmetry, mm. extreme symmetry, or extreme asymmetry. Yeah. Where they literally put the looking room on the wrong side. Like, they put the head on the wrong side of the shot. Mm. And they clear the headroom. They just add the headroom. You're like, and it's so off-putting. And you're like, yeah. but then it goes, it ties into the narrative of him being a schizophrenic, right? It really mm. fucking works. But again, though, you look at Mr. Robot and Fight Club, heavily related narratives. Oh, yeah. Because it's about them having an ulterior uh, uh, ego. Um, they both have father problems. Are those father problems related to him actually being a schizophrenic? Did he actually have a father? Mm. Um, it's about taking down the corporate system. Because uh, Fight Club's about yeah. to taking out... I think Sam Esmail said, like, that was his main inspiration was Fight Club. And it yeah. shows. Oh, dude, it's so referenced. If you look at even... Um, there's a, a cool movie I like with uh, um, Bradley Cooper. Um, Limitless? Limitless. I knew you were going to say Limitless. Yeah, well, there's two shots in that that blow my fucking mind. The mm. opening shot um, is insane. Like, if you stare at that opening shot, you'll have a body reaction. Your body will go, oh, oh, as a shimmer goes through your body because it sort of, like, gets into your head. Mm. The way they did that shot was they took three reds, three red cameras at 8K, and they um, tracked through New York, and then they interlaced those frames together um, by rotoscoping it. Mm. Immense amount of work. Oh, yeah. But the, I've uh, done rotoscoping. Uh, it's, yeah. I don't recommend it. No, oh, dude. Uh, well, I was on a call today with a feature film uh, doing rotoscoping. I had, we had to cut some things away. Like, it's just too expensive. Mm. We have to rotoscope within our budget. Like, I know you want this shot. Talking to the director, I know you want this shot. But um, that rotoscope for that one shot is worth the entire edit stream. That's how expensive yeah. that will be. No, got to cut it. Um, but uh, the other, sh- uh, uh, Bradley Cooper... Uh, what was I talking about? So there's the, there's, the, there's the 3D shot. Oh, yeah. They reference Fight Club in Limitless. Mm. So when, when he goes to the train station, he goes through those warps, uh, those uh, memory lapses, and then they have him fighting himself. Yeah. There's one little shot where he's having a fisty cuffs with someone. He's mm. fighting himself. So even films are well after Fight Club, they're referencing it. Mm. The most heavily referenced shot that I've ever seen, though, is two shots in f- cinematic history. I'm walking here. Oh, yeah. Right? I'm walking here. Oh, actually, it's three. I'll give you three. As I'm walking here, are you talking to me? Mm. And the Matrix 360 degree kick. Yeah. Reference throughout film history and probably be referenced for the next hundred years. That's how popular they mm. are. But they're, they're all yardstick things. Like you, If you look at Taxi Driver, right, um, you can actually measure um, the performance of producers and directors through... Uh, film history, right? Even through, even to the silver screen. When they did, like, The Godfather and Taxi Driver, right? Before that, they were doing, um, and they do it now, like, um, formulaic films. So, at the moment, the popular films are um, superhero films. Mm-hmm. Easy formula. Have this, yeah. uh, they have a model where they can sell toys off the back of it so they can then fund the films more, make more of the films, sell more toys, but there's always the the character that's you know it started off with the the hero the Batman idea all the way to the Tony Stark where you know which is Tony Stark but Marvel Batman yeah. um, <laughs> you know, you know they're the only two humans that don't have superpowers that are in those universes and they're both billionaires mm. one's a weapons dealer the other one's a banker go deep state on if you like <laughs> but um, yeah th- th- there's that 
the savior of the damsel in distress, the um, you know, the the love the love interest, defeating the bad guy, everyone wins, and then splitting that and fragmenting it into multi universes. That's yeah. the formula. Mm-hmm. Rinse and repeat. Right? Even Loki, I've been watching Loki lately. Loki's pretty good. It's pretty well written actually. Yeah. But again, it's the rinse and repeat. Really, it's sort of a bit abstract from the rest of it. But again, though, it's still the same formula. Yeah. the same formula. Um, And then some of these same formulas work. Like one I discovered recently. Have you ever watched Breaking Bad? Yeah, of course. Do you know know, know MacGyver? Yeah. Oh, no, I heard you talking about this on one of the podcasts. Yeah, it blew me mind. I'm like, Breaking Bad's fucking MacGyver. When you said that, I was thinking of the ricin and the magnet and the... Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, magnets, bitch. Right? Like... (laughs) These are uh, formulas that are rinse and repeat, mm. and they can be repackaged, but they're the same formula. Yeah. But there's films out there that break the mold, and usually when um, uh, Hollywood gets in control because they want to run that money money machine to get that repeat viewage, right? Viewership, um, viewage, sorry, big word. viewership. They'll run the same formula over and over. Disney yeah. are classic at this, you know. Um, oh yeah. You know, uh, Lion King. You know, it's Hamlet. Right? Yeah. Just replay the same thing. Um, but there's films out there that break the mold and the control ends up back in the hands of directors. Mm. And uh, that's where you get Taxi Driver, The Godfather. Yeah. Films that they go, not going to win. It's not going to make it. And here they are as like still relevant today. Yeah. And it's ironic that you say that because it's like now Taxi Driver and has become a superhero movie. It's Joker. Yeah. We're back to the Joker segment of the show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> that's right. And they, they, that's what I mean. They, they, they're, they're supplementing that formula and then re, uh, retrofitting it into other narratives. Yeah. Uh, and like it was said, it's been said, you know, um, now Shakespeare's told all the stories. You know, yeah. there's seven stories that you can tell. Uh, you can look them up. When, you know, the rags to riches, um, coming over advertisy, star-crossed lovers, you know. Mm. Those narratives, you, you can't get out of those seven stories, right? Uh, but even even Shakespeare was said to be a uh, plagiarist as well. Like, yeah. You know, uh, and if you look at the rinse and repeat culture from even the 50s and the 40s to now, it's pretty mm. much the same thing. If you look at... His, I mean, Hamlet and Macbeth are pretty much the same thing, just from different Yeah, different perspectives. Yeah, viewpoints, yeah. that's right. And But if you look at, like, superhero films now, the spaghetti westerns of the 70s. Yeah. They're the same films. And then spaghetti westerns were just samurai movies. That's right. Yeah. It's just rinse and repeat, and right? And samurai movies were just Shakespeare. That's right. Throwing a blood. So we just yeah. rinse and repeat it and we repackage mm. it. But ones that stand out are things like Two Hands. Ones that stand out are things like The Godfather, Pulp Fiction. Um, mm. they, they, that, those movies are, um, are indicators of when directors regain control of narrative. Yeah. When it's rinse and repeat, producers are in charge. Mm. Like, even when I was talking to you about Bad Boy Bobby off mm. uh, camera, and when I was watching that last night, I was thinking about... Very this, confronting film. Very confronting film. But I was thinking about that movie, uh, Room. Not The Room, yeah. but Room with Brie Larson. Uh-huh. that came out in, like, 2015. Okay. And that movie is about a mother and a son who are just in one room together, and he has no concept of what the mm. outside world is like. Yeah. But that film is very uplifting and... Inspirational, uh, inspirational. Yeah. Whereas Bad Boy Bobby is grotesque. It's know? grotesque, but <laughs> but the subtext in Bad Boy Bobby, like, yeah. See, people joke about Bad Boy Bobby a lot, mm. but when you look at the subtext, it talks about religion. It talks about perspective in life. Yeah, it talks about uh, what artistry is. You know how one finds themselves to be an artist. Like Bad Boy Bobby was a lead singer in a successful band. Yeah, that's you know? the best part of the movie. Um, you know the blow up doll, the whole thing, man. Like, mm. and it's it's a black comedy. 
Yeah. It really is funny. It's not ha-ha funny. It's ironically funny. Well, not even ironically funny. It's grotesquely funny. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's a good word for it, grotesque. Um, but again, one of those original films, like, mm. try and make that movie now. That is one of the things I really appreciate in a film, when it goes out of its way to show something that the audience might find obscene, but in doing so, they kind of um, touch on something that's very human, mm. you know? Um, yeah, raw nerves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I really appreciate movies like that. Yeah, they, 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 do, they do confront you. Like, there's one that I've actually couldn't watch um, mm. recently. It was um, uh, Painkiller, I think it was called. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, it's um, uh, Matthew Broderick, um, uh, Netflix. Yeah, chicka chicka. <laughs> it, might, it moves pretty fast. You might yeah. miss out. Uh, yeah, it had some like surgery scenes in it. About, it's about yeah. like the um, the uh, Oxycontin uh, pill a- epidemic. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that one. Oh, that dude. Very confronting. Mm, surgery scenes. Uh, freak me out yeah because it's so real yeah it's so you can put yourself in that situation pretty easily mm. it's the same with that another one that really blew me away was Hostel I haven't seen Hostel I'm I appreciate Eli Roth yeah I'm not a huge Eli Roth fan well all the torture scenes were done by Tarantino in the first one. Oh, I didn't so he's a gu- yeah guest director well, it's a uh, weird, he's done weird... that a couple of times he did that in Sin City as well. yeah yeah guest director does some violent scenes right mm. and uh, yeah Hostel's one of those ones you go oh man it's a bit uh, plausible there yeah yeah that's some like you know Epstein Catholic <laughs> Church shit you know where people have got too much money and oh, weird I, tastes I don't know if you've seen it but uh, 2008 French Canadian film Martyrs I haven't seen that. Martyrs is fantastic. Yeah. I'm not a big torture porn fan, as yeah. they call it, but that one it has the torture has a meaning, mm. and that's the torture having meaning is the meaning of the film, mm. and oh, it blew me away. I do recommend it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because we say that a lot. Like I've been noticing a lot of murder porn ones out there at the moment. It's yeah. all about uh, heavy violence. Like you look at, like, don't, get me, don't get me wrong, John Wick is super entertaining. Yeah, but it is murder porn. Yeah. Like each one of those How kill cool scenes. How cool can this guy murder somebody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a sequence of cool scenes. Like you could take that as an art house film, just one murder scene out of John Wick. Mm. You could house a whole movie just around that one murder. Yeah. But there's like 150 of them, like mm. 200 of them. Yeah. Like they're just, it's just an onslaught of murder. Uh, but it's justified murder because like, like, there's those rules in movies, right? Don't kill a kid because mm. I'll hate you. Yeah. Even worse than killing a kid is killing a dog. Oh, yeah. Right, don't kill a dog. And uh, the hero always has to win. Mm. Right? Like, there's movies like that. Like, ever seen Chinatown? I have seen Chinatown. Love Chinatown. Bad guy wins. Yeah. Not just a bad guy, like a super bad guy, really evil motherfucker, right? He wins. Mm. And and the way that he carries the the daughter away is just grueling. Like, you watch that, you go, oh, that is harsh. Mm. It's a, a turn off. You go, oh, I don't know. I want to go see another movie now. That was really harsh. Yeah. That's why the good guy always wins, right? So mm. these, those are three main rules. Don't kill, don't kill children in a film. Don't kill a dog. And make sure that the uh, hero, the protagonist wins. They have to win. Yeah. To, the, guy, the guy has to get the girl. The girl has to be the ugly duckling that turns into a beautiful woman. Mm. Um, the bank robbers need to be arrested and the cop needs to win. Yeah. It's always the deal. But some movies break that. And they're the ones that gain those directors that break those molds. Yeah. It's a lot of risk. From a audience perspective, don't always love it, but from a filmmaking perspective, I always appreciate it. 
You know, like when a movie does kill a kid, mm. I'm like, that movie's got some fucking balls. Yeah, to do it. Like uh, Antichrist or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? Yeah, uh, the the uh, uh, Mr. Frost was one with, um, uh, what's his name? He's in Jurassic Park. You know, he's like, maybe you should. Oh, uh, uh, um, Goldblum. Go- Goldblum, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's the, the devil. Uh, Goldblum? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, maybe you shouldn't. You know, uh, I can't. That's my best impersonation of him. But um, yeah, he's in a movie called uh, uh, the. I think it's the delightful Mr. Frost. Mm. You know, he tortures kids, skins them alive. Oh, like, it's fucking lovely. full on. They don't show you, but yeah. they do it in such a way you're like, oh, gruesome. The implication is sometimes worse. It is, yeah. Know? That's why imagination is very powerful. Yeah, like we were talking about surgery scenes in movies first exorcist movie mm. has that whole sequence where they're doing all these tests on reagan yeah and that scene freaks me out yeah but then exorcist 3 you don't see any of the there's a lot of murders that happen in that movie you don't mm. see any of them but it's the description of what is happening yeah in those murders just turns my stomach yeah context done well delivers subtext very well yeah yeah absolutely um but uh, yeah exorcist the exorcist is an interesting film because well i was talking about um this to uh ronnie rascala big shout out man yeah, uh, when we were doing ronnie. yeah ronnie's great like uh we were talking to him on one uh the uh, online networking event last week mm. and you know because you go into making a feature film which is major endeavor like that's a life commitment making a feature film especially yeah. especially um in our region of the world um and uh, i asked him a question i said you know like you've made this film which is art is distribution art because mm. yeah it is a bit of an art right so if you look at the exorcist it was the first film to be nationally released like before that they used to have like even exploitation films yeah. like they would say bruce lee appears in this kung fu movie and they have one frame of bruce lee and you don't see yeah. bruce lee because you didn't see the one frame so this is exploit people so they call them exploitation films and in australia if you look at the contrast between uh, canada and america and australia we all have drive-in culture especially mm. in the 70s and 80s. So they called it Ozploitation films. Yeah. And these are the films that Tarantino's ripped off. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I've heard there's a great interview clip of him talking about Ozploitation. Yeah, it's in, um, it's in a, um, a documentary called uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Yeah. Check out Not Quite Hollywood, kids, if you haven't watched it, because it gives a great insight to the, the uh, narrative journey of um, Ozploitation Aussie films that weren't released in Australia, mm. but they were marketed as foreign films for uh, drive-in horrors. Yeah, right. And they Pro did some games and stuff. outrageous shit. Like when they did Mad Max, there was no uh, uh, no council approval. Yeah, they just crashed motorbikes into bridges and then mm. just left that town, went to the next town. Right. Yeah. And that was the that was the high rail one. Like mm. you got other ones like out there like Stone, which is like a bikey film. Um, and I hope Tarantino remakes one day. Get out there, bro. Yeah. Um, well, he's only got one left, apparently. Oh, yeah, the 10? Is yeah. this the 10? Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the um, the journey of those... Uh, where was I going to say? Osploitation. Uh, the journey of narrative. Mm. How that's changed, man. And how it's come into... It, 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 what I'm saying is, is that it shifts. And it shifts between the producer, people that have the money holders... Versus the artists who are the narrative and story holders. And that's, that's what that whole, um, the strike is about, right? Mm. They're worried about who's controlling narrative. Again, it comes out of that deep state thing. You go, I get paranoid about it, Like, why are you guys so, so vested in what we tell as entertainment? Yeah. Because I've seen things that are quite strange. Like, there's one that really fucking blew me away, man. Uh, you know the movie Blade? 
Yeah. All right. First uh, uh, real comic book uh, film of its ilk from mm. New Line Cinema, right? It's their, that 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 film saved their company, by the way. Like, yeah, like they'll they, they only had Nightmare on Elm Street. That's right, that and they were at the end of that era, right? Yeah, that is dead. So then they started doing these realistic air quotations, uh, um, uh, superhero films, hmm. dark. Like uh, Tim Burton did it with Batman. I, I, I get that, but yeah. that was a, that's, again, that's a bit of a different artistry going on there. Um, when you watch Blade Trinity. Mm-hmm. I had a CD, a DVD, sorry, that I bought in Australia, and it said, um, you know, when they go into the pyramid, and they go get Dracula out of the pyramid. Yeah. And it's, it comes up with a little blurb at the bottom, and it says, somewhere deep in Iraq. Mm. I bought a DVD from America, and it said, somewhere deep in Syria. Oh wow! So they changed the blurb. Yeah. Which is crazy. You go, well, why would they do that? Because hey, of the oh. Iraq War. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I've got to pee really badly. Can you stop the record? I'm gonna pee. I'll be back. We're back. There we go. Um, uh, that's right, we're getting our tinfoil hats on and talking mm. about the deep state and people changing narratives in films in order to change public perception about warfare. That's why we're here. I'm <laughs> an expert. <laughs> oh, look, dude, the, uh, I was saying to, um, a, a big shout out to Adiane, actually, while we're here. Uh, thank you so much for producing tonight. Um, she's doing a fantastic job. Um, as always. But I was talking to her earlier on, uh, off air as well uh, about, um, uh, the intersection of art and war, right? Mm. Uh, I've talked about this a little bit on the page, and I think it's really important because um, there's this perception out there that... Um, actually, it might have been Danielle. Actually, I was talking to Danielle before we got here. <laughs> anyway, nonetheless, I was gas-bagging earlier yeah. and uh, I was talking about the intersection of art and war. And I've said this a lot on the page, train, but I think it's really important to point out, out of things that I've researched in this ilk, um, art comes first. Mm. There's a perception out there. Without World War Two, we wouldn't have avionics. Yeah, that's not true. If you look at the history, that's not true. The Wright brothers, you know, Orville Wright, um, and his other brother, whatever his name is. You got it? Well, I think it's like Wendell. Or something. It's Wendell. It is I Wendell. Think so. I think you're right. It's Wendell. Yeah. Um, Orville and Wendell Wright. Um, when they intersected art and engineering, I don't think they were thinking about warfare when they flew. Like when. Picasso comes up with cubism. I don't think he's thinking about camouflage and how yeah. you can be undetected while shooting at people. Mm. Um, you know, um, when they invented ballet, I don't think they intended it to become drill for soldiers to march into battle. Yeah. When the drum was invented, it wasn't to beat the drum of war. It was to beat a drum of, of music. Yeah. So art, I, really th- th- I think that's a really important distinction to make that art, artistry, comes before war it's just that people reappropriate these ideas mm. in order to cause problems yeah you know and i think that's important and then, and here we are in this space right made in the west um is about promoting voices for the voiceless mm. anyone is welcome doesn't matter who you are um and i like the i got this from um uh von patiag actually big shout out von uh i had a great conversation i've had many great conversations with him and one thing he said to me was about it's not about diversity Ross it's about inclusivity Mm. if you live in Western Sydney and you're trying to be diverse you're trying too hard yeah if you just base things off merit Mm. you're going to be naturally inclusive yeah yeah we've had we've had organisations pat us on the back going it's great that you're promoting colour on screen it's great that you're promoting um, um, uh, uh, ethnic um, uh, filmmaker storytellers and we go we're actually not doing that. We're just promoting stories. Yeah. 
just so happens if you go to Maine in the West, you're going to see um, a, a collage of different uh, people from around the world. Because mm. we live in Western Sydney, we're a, we're a um, a migrant country. You know, um, we're we're in a you know we're in a black fellas country mm. in the middle of Asia, uh, populated by uh, white co- colonialists, right? Mm. Uh, but here we all are, um, you know, and there's no getting around that we're here, and uh, there's something about this country. If you look at the first feature film ever made, do you know about this? First feature film ever made. This is the history of the Kelly Gang. It is. I know my history. Yeah, man. Especially off the Kelly Gang. <laughs> the first. Um, production company ever hmm. made that film made in Australia first feature length film the first people to tell narrative arcs on a fourth wall mm. based on an ABC of you know start middle end yeah. develop the story tell the story finish the story um, set to music was the Aborigines man first Australians were the first people to do that Yeah. so something about this land if you look at the actors the directors that come out of... If you think about the ratio of people, there's 27 million people in Australia, right? Mm. 7 billion people in the world. Yeah. How popular is Australian storytelling on the global market? It's massive. It's massive. Yeah. Something about this land. I think it's so much so to the point where you, a lot of people don't even realise, you know? It's massive, Dan. Um, so much talent comes out of here. If mm. you look at the State of the Arts report, recently released by uh, WSU... Um, a big shout out to um, uh, WSA, by the way, Western Sydney Arts Alliance. Um, go and check out their film. We made a film for them recently that did the State of the Arts report. And 1.5% of New South Wales funding goes to Western Sydney artists. It's actually 3%. I'll tell a lie. Mm. But 1.5% of, of that is to build the Powerhouse Museum in Parramatta. Oh, yeah. I say that every day while I'm going to uni. Yeah, well, they get 1.5% funding out of the state, uh, state budget. Mm. Oh, the state budget for um, art. And the rest of us get 1.5%. And you go, if you look at the output, like now let's look at who's making art. Mm. The predominant fact is that there are more artists in Western Sydney than anywhere in the country. Yeah. It's huge. Mm. Some people who do it, they don't even know that they're doing it. That's how popular it is. They go, well, I'm just teaching this little dance class. I'm not an artist. Go, well, you're mm. teaching dance, man. Like, of course you're an artist. So um, the other the other place that rivals uh, Western Sydney is Western Melbourne. Yeah. You know, uh, same sort of deal. Um, but yet we get the least funding, but we have the most content output. Mm. And I think it sucks. Yeah. I think that fucking sucks. It does suck. It does suck, right? Mm. So it's up to us to like um, take the reins and take control because like we can let the producers be in charge or we can let the directors be in charge. And I put that po- question out there to all the artists that are listening to this. Do you want to be in charge or do you want someone else to be in charge? Do you want outsiders coming into Western Sydney making Western Sydney content or do you want to make Western Sydney content in your region? Mm-hmm. And that's an easy question to answer, really. Um, doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter uh, what gender you are. Doesn't matter what sexuality you are. Fuck no. Mm. Um, do you have a story to tell? Probably. Do do you, is is it a story that's um, coming from a place of authenticity? Mm-hmm. Like when I see stories that come from outside of Western Sydney, they generally have the same narrative. Uh, damsel in distress, uh, uh, washboard fucking dude <laughs> that's going to rescue the day. Like, uh, we know how this ends, man. Like, it's a predictable yeah. movie. It's a it's a rinse and repeat deal. You, and don't get me wrong, we all want to raise our profile. Like, 
here I am on a podcast, you know, lucky enough to have my own show, right? Yeah. Raising my profile in, in, in the exchange of raising others' profile, right? It's an, it's an exchange, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> some people, man, it's like, well, if you just came from an honest perspective, you'd do a lot better. Mm. And uh, that's the problem. Like, that's a real problem I find in even news, man. If uh, something cool happens in Western Sydney, they refer to it as Sydney. Yeah. If a crime happens today, what happened in Western Sydney, a shooting, right? Mm-hmm. They'll label that Western on it. And that's where, like, Maine the West is important to me because of the name. Because I, you know, if you look at Australian Made, it's one of those things that we lean, in, lean into to, to be proud of that. Yeah. And like, when I started Maine the West, it was uh, people would change their hairstyle. Change the accent, change the, their their attire, change their postcode on their resume, mm. all in order to get a job on the North Shore. Yeah, I'm like, fuck that, fuck that. <laughs> that shit sucks. That shit sucks, <laughs> man. Why do we have to change yeah. for you? And don't get me wrong, like there's good content that comes out of that space. I'm not sure. I'm not like bagging it out in that way. There was just this perception that's where the stories and the money was. Yeah, but if we make our own own space, if you build, as they say, if you build it. They will come. Yeah. And they do. Kevin Costner taught me that. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, film of Dreams, man. I watched that recently, actually. Yeah, so did I. Oh, dude. It's a really well-written film, actually. Yeah. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm an ex-baseball player myself as well. Oh, really? Yeah, man. And um, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, play at the state level. That's heaps sick. Yeah, I was the first baseman. Uh, love baseball. Um, and I like, like, you know, Aussie sports as well, like cricket and, mm. uh, and footy, like AFL and NRL. Like, I like that sort of things, but... Baseball, I just found, like, there's nothing... There's, it's really cool. Like, you throw a ball as fast as you can at someone and they catch mm. it. Yeah. And someone throws a ball as fast as they can at you and you catch it. There's something very appealing about baseball. Very fast. Mm. Softball is a bit slower, but I, I played a lot of softball. Uh, but I played a little bit of baseball as well. And I managed to, you know... We were so poor. Yeah. We were the only team that didn't have a uniform. <laughs> we all had a mixture of the other teams that we'd been on previously mixed mm. together. It was like I had the knickerbockers from the previous team I was on and the shirt from the previous team before yeah. that. So it was super poor. Much of sound like kids. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's very much like that. It was a good movie as well, by the way. Yeah. Shout uh, out to uh, Emily, my producer. That's her favorite movie. It's very um, much like a cutesy poo version of Stand By Me. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, great movie. Love Stand By Me. Oh, man. Another great movie, you know? Yeah. Um, but again, the, again, the subtext in Stand By Me is really into the... Even into the Western Sydney zeitgeist idea, like we we don't have all the advantages. In fact, we're the underdog. Mm. We're the, totally the underdog. And, you know, um, I was at this um, I was at this conference once and... I said, we want to hear your biggest dreams for the Western Sydney film industry. And I said, buy coastal theme parks and a magazine. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where we come up with this, right? So, Main the West, you've got it right here. Main the West magazine, right? Very nice, got my own copy. Oh, you got a copy of this? Yeah. Uh, augmented reality, right? So, we used to have, it doesn't, it's not active at the moment, but we had an app that you could uh, run over it and it animates. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, we only could afford the app for a year because it's very expensive. Yeah. But, um... I did that. We did. I said that as a joke. Like, mm. have you seen Dogma? Yeah. And they go into the boardroom at um, a movie world. Yeah, movie, movie world. world. And they like, um, he's like, you know, uh, you've made six production films, sixteen books, um, and two bi coastal theme parks. <laughs> and he goes, "Do I leave anything out?" He goes, "You forgot about Movie Magazine." <laughs> 
And I told this joke. Oh, yeah. But in the context of, like, I want to be on a podcast. I want to get introduced. Ross Page, um, a founding member of uh, Made in the West Film Festival and um, a director at Still Searching Productions. Have I leave anything out? Made in the West Magazine. Mm. And that was a joke. It was just, yeah. I just did it as a joke in a meeting. And then all of a sudden, we're making a magazine. <laughs> uh, but, like, what, 40 people contributed to that? Yeah. Um, and all the history's in there, man. And it was really serendipitous how some an idea can come out of absolutely nowhere to be even uh, just comical in nature mm. to turn into something that is quite serious and quite like in depth and a collectible you know um that stuff blows my mind i'm just so proud of that i'm so proud of everyone involved in it um and the same with Maine the west you know like it's great to have it's great to pay everyone yeah when we started out it was all all volunteer based and there was people that stayed with that and they really saw what I saw and that. And I, one thing I really did, because like, I was in the music industry for a while mm. and uh, <sighs> there are gatekeepers. There's people, you know, a venue is a gatekeeper. Yeah. Promoters a gatekeeper. Even a sound guy is a gatekeeper, right? The last people to get paid in that industry is the artist. Yeah. And you think about it, you've got five musicians, uh, you've got a drummer, very exp- you know, $3,000 just before you start. You haven't even mm. learned drums yet. You just bought a drum kit, three grand minimum, right? You might get one for 250 but you're not... If you're going to perform on stage, it's three grand, man. Yeah. Guitarist, five grand. Mm. Um, uh, a vocalist, you know, um, a, a severe drug habit. It's very expensive. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> no, but my point is that the last person to get paid out of that is the artist. And then you've got to split that between five dudes, mm. you know, or gals, whatever the situation may be. Um, but I realized through that, because um, that's where I started Made in the West out of it, was out of me organizing shows. Like I've probably paid about 100 shows in my life and organized most of them. Mm. And so I just extrapolated that out of the music industry into, you know, the, the budding film industry in Western Sydney. But my biggest thing about it was is making sure the artist gets paid. Yeah. Uh, because the venue always wins. The promoter always wins. I'm like, what about the artist, man? So we're out there like, um, we've got Made in the West Creative. Go and check us out. We're starting out. We've been running for two years. We made, we're after our like eighth documentary or whatever. Mm. Um, but we also do content provisioning. So we sell people's movies, man. Yeah. Yeah, we put your, like, you know, we put your movie in the markets, man, trying to sell it. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, because what I do, like, if I sell your movie on your behalf, I'm going to ring you up and go, Darcy, mm. I've got a buyer for your movie in this market. Um, to cover our admin costs, we probably need 15%. Mm. Uh, and the rest is yours. Sweet. You know, and that's Sounds how it works. Like deal to make. Mm. Yeah, but it may be only some micro earnings here and there, mm. but it gets us into a model of doing that and creating that space. Like, I've had um, other f- uh, film festivals that, um, and, and, and fil- other film festivals do this right, so I'm going to say something negative, and it's not my only perspective, but um, there's some film festivals out there going, uh, can you cross-promote with us? We go, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And, and they'll go, well, can you supply some content? We go, yeah, um, well, here's our admin fee. And here's our, um, our content fee. Here's our list of content from uh, artists at different grades and at different stages. And this is the value of their content based on their viewership. Mm. They go, oh, no, we're not going to give you any money. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, what are we fucking talking about here? You want us... Oh, it's for my exposure, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah, We've got it. I know a lot of, of people who give that. It's for exposure. It'd be good for you. You know, I see a lot of online artists get that. It's a terrible thing to say. Mm. It really is. It's the supplementary. It's not the primary. 
And um, we go, well, we've got exposure, man. Like, yeah. Fucking massive audience. What are you fucking, we, we've got more audience than you. What are you talking about? And uh, anyway, but there's other guys that are out there doing it properly. We've worked some, with some other organizations that are just fucking onto it. Yeah. They go, yeah, we want to pay your artists. Big shout out to Blacktown. Um, big shout out to... Um, big shout out to Blacktown. That's my hometown. Oh, man. Blacktown native. Yo. Man, I can tell you this. Um, the highest content that we get from any uh, submission in Western Sydney is Blacktown. Yeah. 30%. Because we're legends. <laughs> 2140. Oh, wait, no. 2148. <laughs> Sorry, I've had a couple. <laughs> That's okay, so have I. Uh, but man, look, um, uh, I think it's about time to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, I know I've been rattling on about Made in the West for the last uh, 10 minutes of this podcast, so um, I'm sorry, my audience out there. Thanks for uh, putting up with our bullshit. Yeah, no uh, worries. Love talking about Made in the West. Oh, uh, dude, uh, but um, can we find you online anywhere? Um, I don't have a lot of social media. You can follow my production company's account, Forehead Films Official. Mm hmm. Um, on there you'll find some posts about our new film that we're currently in the editing process of shedding. It's pretty exciting. I'm very excited. What's this about new film it. about? Can you let anything out, or is it a little bit under embargo? Oh, look, no embargo for me. I'm happy to talk about it. Yes, yeah, sure. About it's a werewolf story. Um, very giallo inspired Ooh. in its presentation, but um, it's it's a tragedy. You know, it's about somebody who refuses to accept what they are, mm. and that hurts the people around them. And oh, wow. Yeah. I'm already excited for this, man. Oh, man, look, you've just fired more neurons off in my brain, man. I'm just, look, let me just uh, um, uh, inspire you and to remind you and reflect with you. Um, you're on a great journey, Darcy. Um, and going on, like I say, don't close doors. Open do Yes, open doors. And it sounds like you're opening a lot of doors and you're going on this journey as an artist to figure out, oh, what, you've just done a comedy, now you're doing a tragedy. Yeah. Looks like you're doing that contrast. Mm, that's the two masks. It <laughs> is. It's the whole thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, tragedy and, and comedy, right? Like when I was, when I was um, starting out, like I, I wanted to make a movie that had a sex scene. Mm. I wanted to make a movie that had uh, a gunfight. Yeah. I wanted to make a movie that had a fight scene. I wanted to do a comedy comedy bit as well, you know? And it was good to do all of those things because then you can take that away and then go and make bigger products, right? So, yeah, more power to you, man. You're doing really well. Thank I'm really you proud of you, much, man. brother. Yeah, no worries. Oh, dude, you, you energize me. Absolutely yeah. energize me. And I hope I, um, I have the, uh, a similar effect on you, man. Like, because uh, I just say, you know, go out there and get it, man. Just go out there and yeah. get it. It's very nice to talk to someone who has a lot of experience in the industry, mm -hmm. and someone who has my best interest, you know? Yeah, totally, man. Like, uh, it, yeah, like I say, if we can uh, sell films, let's sell films. Let's go make films. Let's go tell stories. Let's go represent the unrepresented. Let's go represent the represented for a really good fee. <laughs> <laughs> There's no no job too big, no fee too big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but man, uh, but yeah. So what was that? Sorry, just before we go, what's the name of the film that you're working on at the moment? Shedding. Shedding. Okay. Yeah. Shedding like a dog. Shedding like a, you shed some emotions. Yeah, shedding skin. Just play on words. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. Oh, look, before we go, but we do shed skins, right? Mm. Uh, every seven years, we are, our cells change. We yeah. have new bones, new new muscle fiber. We do shed skins. Um, and they say you have a seven-year cycle. Uh, in marriages, they say you have the seven-year itch. Yeah. Um, well, I just finished my third seven-year cycle. Mm. So, you know, I'm hoping for... A lot more development, a lot of change. Yeah, growth is fun. It's painful yeah. though. Oh, it sucks, but I you, love it. Yeah, but you need that so contrast. Great. You, you mm. need that contrast. It can't all be gravy, man. It's yeah. gonna be. It's gonna be some dry moments, you know. Um, yeah, uh, but I, I also figured out there's also that twelve year cycle. 
Mm. You know, you, you do um, schooling for 12 years. Then you go get a profession for 12 years and probably change profession. Yeah. Main the West have been running for 12 years. I was in the army for 12 years. I was in school for 12 years. Now I'm on my fourth dozen, if that makes sense. So yeah. super excited to see what it brings because now we are formidable and ready to go. Yeah, I'm coming to the end of my second one. Yeah, okay. School's about to end. This is my last year at uni. Mm. The whole world's at my feet. Yeah. See what happens. Oh, dude, um, you've certainly got um, a lot of things going on for you getting out of that gate. So, mm-hmm. uh, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Not a problem. Happy to be here. Anytime. Yeah, I'll definitely have you back, man. It'll be oh, great. Sweet. That'd be heaps Yeah, great. I'd like to check in within a year's time. Sweet. Yeah, see where you're at. Let's and do it. We'll talk about uh, Shedded. Shedding. 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 <laughs> My apologies. No, nah, no worries. You'll you'll know it. You'll, you'll know, know it when you see it. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely going to be in Maine in the West, mate. It's going to be Maine in the West. Oh, check it so. out. It's hope you good enough. <laughs> and guys, you've been watching The Pagey Train. You can go and check us out on Spotify. That's right, video on Spotify. Or you can go and check us out on YouTube. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe. And for you avid listeners, you can go and check us out on um, iHeartRadio or Apple iTunes. Basically, anywhere you can find podcasts. You've been watching The Pagey Train, and we'll see you next time. We made it. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Shout, uh, hello, Beth. <laughs> That's my sister. I know she'll be so pissed because I mentioned.